Well, I wonder as we sit here this Sunday whether we could ever conceive all the possibilities that could happen to us this week. Who could imagine what this week holds for us? Uh, Little did the farmer, Alan Graham, uh, as he sat in church last Sunday, the, the farmer from Northern Ireland, never did he consider that he would have such publicity throughout the world for asking the pop star Rihanna to stop filming an increasingly raunchy video in his field on Monday. Uh, He says this, It was my land, I have an ethos, and I felt it inappropriate. Perhaps they could acquaint themselves with a greater God. I wonder what you think about that. The, The shopping street... Uh, If you walk down Princess Street, it is full of raunchy, sexualized imagery, isn't it? And as a a guy who wants to kind of live with purity, I walk down the street, and there's certain parts of the street, I know I've got to look away from the shops and and admire the castle. Oh, look, we've got a castle. (laughs) But you know what? As I look across, I can get an eyeful in the bus shelter. And so I look further out, and then a bus goes by, and I get an eyeful on the bus. It is just around us, this sexualized imagery. It's hard to know where to look. The summer blockbusters seem to be largely based around the entertainment of sexual relationships outside marriage. Apparently, the the big blockbusters were movies like In Between Us and Friends with Benefits. The pornography business is big business. It's estimated that in America, it is worth about $13 billion of revenue. $13 billion. It is estimated that every second in America, 30,000 people are viewing pornographic movies on the internet. 30,000 a second. There's growing concern about pornography addiction uh, right across the board in society today. I see it in the newspapers. A growing concern that, uh, that uh, those who are addicted to pornography are losing their jobs because they can't seem to help themselves from viewing inappropriate material uh, in the workplace. 75% of pornography viewing happens between 9 and 5 in the workday. There's something to worth check if you're a business owner. Um, There's growing evidence that uh, those addicted to pornography are struggling to keep their marriages together with 40% having spouses who leave them because of their addiction. And clinical depression is twice as likely amongst those who are addicted to pornography as those who do not view pornography. This is a serious social problem that we have today. The message of our culture seems to me something like this. Uh, It is normal and healthy to um, have sex with whoever you want, however you want, as long as it is consensual. That's basically the message of society. So how does a Christian live in such a raunch porn culture? How are we to live in this culture? Well, uh, let's see what God has to say. Please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. And you'll find this on page 
1,176. If you don't have a Bible with you, just grab one of these church Bibles, page 1176. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3. But let's just take a moment to ask God's help, shall we? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is light into the darkness of our hearts. And so we pray that you would grant us uh, the ability to see the beauty of your glory revealed in Scripture. And that our lives would increasingly reflect the glory of Christ. So, Father, we ask that by your Spirit, that we would hear not just human words, but your words. And that you'd grant us faith and repentance to trust you this week. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. 5 verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure... No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is God's word. Well, we've been seeing in this series of Ephesians that how you live flows out of knowing who you are. That Paul wrote to the the Christians in Ephesus and to the church plants from Ephesus because he wanted to remind them of their true identity in Jesus Christ. And many of our problems as Christians just flow out of this thing that, that we get identity amnesia. We forget who we are. And you see that even when it comes to the practical teaching about sexual ethics, that this is still... The the main focus of his agenda. Do you notice that there are two identifications in this text of who we are in Christ? Uh, The first one's in verse 3. Do you see it? What is it? Checking you're all still awake. What does it say about us in verse 3? Saints. God's holy people. And the second one's in verse 8. What are we in verse 8? 
Children of light. Children of light. So here's two crucial things that the Christian must remember as we live in this raunch porn culture. In a sense, if I want to summarize this whole chapter, I would say it's something like this. Shine as holy children of light. That's what he's teaching. Shine as holy children of light. These two things, that you are God's holy people, and secondly, you are children of light. So let's think about those two things, and about what the implications are of those two realities. First of all, you are God's holy people. Or maybe, does it say in your, in your vision, the few saints? Some said saints. Some say God's holy people. It's, it's translating the same phrase, holy ones. Now, unfortunately, because of church history, we kind of view saints as special people. People that you see in religious art with pale faces, looking upward with with halos over their head. That's how you spot a saint. Uh, We sometimes view that somehow that you become a saint because the church does something to you. But of course, that's not the biblical teaching, is it? It is something that God does to you. He makes you a saint. When we repent of our sins... And we put our trust in Christ. uh, God sets us apart to be his saints. His holy ones. And so it's going to be very exciting tonight. We're going to welcome a few more saints uh, to the membership of church. We're going to have Saint Riaz. I think that's the first time we've had a Saint Riaz. Uh, uh, We're going to have us. We've got here. We've got Saint Janet. We're going to have Saint Gareth. Saint Ruth. Saint Allison. And Saint Andreas. If you want to meet these saints come tonight. It's going to be very exciting. These saints are joining the membership of, 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 of God's people here, the rest of the saints at Charlotte Chapel. We are saints. And so, actually, the point about this being a saint is it's not saying that we're sinless. Otherwise, you wouldn't have these warnings in this chapter, would you? There are very real warnings and and challenges that that the Christian must avoid because we are tempted to do these very things. Now, being a saint is not being sinless. But it is saying, now, once I know that I'm a saint, there are certain things that fit with that. And certain things that just do not fit with that. They're just just strange. They're improper. And so, although saints are not sinless, it is a strange thing when saints sin. It doesn't quite fit. It doesn't feel right. It isn't right because you are part of God's holy people. So, have a look at that that as it gets worked out in uh, verse 3. I want to tell you three things about saints before we get on to light. And the first thing about saints is that saints starve lust. Saints starve lust. Have a look at verse 3. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. When it says sexual immorality and impurity, it is basically covering all uh, sexual behavior Outside of a loving marriage. Whatever it is. Uh, Our culture is kind of appalled when we say that uh, homosexual behavior is sinful. Actually, what's really probably more shocking is we're saying 
all sexual behavior, whether heterosexual or homosexual, outside marriage, we're saying it's sinful. That's what God's word is saying. And it is improper for God's people to engage in any sort of behavior like that outside marriage. So for the Christian, when you come to Christ, uh, what, what Christ taught in his very own life was that to be single is to be chaste, to be celibate. Or it is to get married and then within marriage enjoy uh, a, a sexual um, a relationship. Christ both honored marriage and in his singleness was celibate. And that has been the clear biblical teaching uh, now for kind of, well, nearly 2,000 years. But the point here is not just that we don't engage in that sort of behavior, that we don't go there, we don't participate in that. Actually, it's more than that, isn't it? There should not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of impurity. Not even a hint. It's as if he's saying, don't even... Name it. Uh, Don't kind of explore sexual sin in your conversations. There's something about this reality. And I think it's because sexual desire is a very powerful thing, isn't it? That even to let it in on the conversation and begin to explore uh, the depths of, of, of where culture takes sex outside of marriage is unhealthy and dangerous and toxic. It's not only just the issue of um, sex outside marriage as well. As you notice how it also points out greed. Now it could be that this is linked to it. That people are becoming greedy for uh, you know, another person's body. But I think it's also more than that. Greed is where we are dissatisfied with what we have dissatisfied with the amount of money we have, the amount of stuff we have, or, I don't know, the relationship we have. And, and greed, uh, in a sense, is, is unhappy with God, is dissatisfied with God, and longs for self-satisfaction. More for me, me, me. Whether that's sexual or financial, um, me, more of, for me. And... and God's word is uncompromising here, isn't it? There shouldn't be even a hint of this sort of lust. Lust after bodies or lust after stuff. Not even a hint of that. Uh, There's not even a place for sort of joking about it. Do you see there in verse 4? Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. They're just out of place for saints. Just out of place. I mean, it makes great you know, late night TV. It's very hilarious. I mean, uh, I remember an interview with the Monty Python guys. And they said if they were ever struggling for a joke, they would just rely on saying something dirty. Because it, it it's the lowest form of wit. You can always pull it out and get a laugh if you talk dirty. Now, as God's saints, uh, if we want to be serious about living in a raunch culture, in a porn culture, and standing for Christ, we shouldn't even joke about this stuff together. Uh, we, we, we shouldn't say it for a laugh. Uh, it's just not, it's just not, doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. It, it's a bit like having a light bulb in, in the middle of your room 
And there you are at night time uh, with the light on and you're standing there with some black paint and you're painting the light bulb with your black paint. It's like, well, yes, you can. But it's a little bit odd. A little bit strange. Uh, that's not what a light bulb is for. It's a improper and ill-fitting thing to do. You know, that's, you know, that's why we buy clear or you know, white light bulbs. Let them shine. And so the Christian uh, stands in this culture by, first of all, starving lust. In a sense, it's not just that he doesn't want to do that. He doesn't even want to let the first entrance of it into his life. He doesn't even want to talk about it. He doesn't want to go there. Uh, when guys at work start talking dirty, that's the time to say, uh, either, guys, can you stop that or, or just head off and do something else. I, I don't want to participate in that. Um, you know, I, I've had friends who go on business trips and these guys head off without their wives and uh, after having, going for a meal and for some drinks, they say, oh, let's go to the strip clubs. And that point, if you're a Christian, say, uh, no, actually, I, I really love my wife. I, I'm not going to go there with you. Uh, I'm going to go back home. Thank you very much. I'm not even going to allow the possibility of that in my life. The key to sexual purity is one with a hundred small little decisions where we grab hold of the thought and say, no, I'm not going there. No, I'm not going to say that. No, I'm not going to look at that. That's where the battle is won. In the thing that others might say, don't be so uh, prudish. Well, the wise Christian goes, you might think me a prude, I just don't want to go there. We starve lust. Now the second thing a saint does is that a saint savors thanksgiving. Do you see that in verse 4? Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. My wife tells me there's two approaches to weeding in the garden. Uh, I, you know, I let her get on with it, she loves it. There are two approaches to weeding and gardening. There, there is the approach where whenever you see a weed, you pull it out. And you have to do that. Otherwise, they just get big and deep roots and it's horrible. So you, you, you act promptly. You get them out quick before the roots go deep. The other way you deal with weeds is that you, you plant sort of uh, ground-covering plants. Fast-growing plants that you like. And you stick them in the soil, and they quickly take over the soil, so there's just no room for the weeds to grow. And I think that's exactly what, what, what Paul is teaching the, 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 the Christians here. It's not only to, to be pulling up the weeds, starving lusts, but actually we plant something much better in its place. We savor thanksgiving to God. This is the opposite to lust, isn't it? Lust is about self-centered, me, 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 I want that body, I want that stuff, it's me. And, and thanksgiving is the exact opposite. It is a grateful joy and thanksgiving to God for all he's already given me. It is turning away from myself and turning to God and saying, thank you, God. And if we want to stand in this porn culture, let me tell you one way forward, and you've maybe not thought about this, is to consider in your prayers every day and throughout your day, thanking God. Thanking God for all his goodness. Remembering all his blessings. Thank him for it. That's the plant that will crowd out the place of lust. 
And I think implicit in this command, and John Stott brings it out in his commentary as well, is a thanksgiving for legitimate sexual relationship. See, the Christian is not a prude. Uh, as, as, as Christians, we understand that sexual desire is a good gift from God. It's a wonderful gift from God. God made us sexual beings. And uh, sexual behavior is, is one of the great joys and glues of marriage. Uh, it is because we know how precious it is and we know how powerful sexual desire is that we don't want to mess about stoking up sexual desire with anyone else other than our spouse. And it's quite legitimate and proper and right that we thank God for the gift of sex. Thank God for our wives. Thank God for our husbands. Thank God for this great, wonderful blessing. We're not prudes. We actually treasure this more than our culture that gives itself away so cheaply. So we starve lust. We save a thanksgiving. And thirdly, with regard to uh, being a saint, we're not deceived, as it says in verses 5 to 7. There is some real warnings here that we need to heed. Look at verse 5. For of this you can be sure. No immoral impure or greedy person, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. This is not saying that if we have failed sexually... That there is no hope for us. It is talking about the person who persists in sexually immoral behavior without any repentance. The truth is that we're all sexual sinners. We're all sexual sinners. We may not have acted it out, but we've had struggles in our thoughts and our hearts. And there's great hope in the gospel. Um, Paul could say to the church in Corinth, which was surrounded by a, a sexualized culture just as much as we are. And he says, um, you know, again, don't be deceived. You can't continue in sexual immorality and enter into the kingdom of God. And, 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 and some of you were um, heterosexual and homosexual sinners. But you were washed you were cleansed. You were sanctified. You were brought into God's people. So there is great hope in the gospel for those who failed sexually. But this verse is holding out a real warning that those who persist in sexual behavior, uh, sex outside marriage, unrepentantly, well, we, we, we think we're going to do it because we're going to gain, don't we? But what does uh, verse 5 tell us? We're going to lose everything. You have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So, you know, we pursue immorality and impurity and greed because you think we're going to gain. And, and, and Paul says, don't be deceived. You're not going to gain. You will lose everything if you persist in that in an unrepentant way. You will have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. 
And we need to heed verse 6, especially in our current climate. There are plenty that want to deceive us with empty words. It is one of the tragedies of our time that uh, Christian denominations are now saying what the Bible has said uh, about sin is wrong. That it's okay to uh, have sex outside marriage and uh, be an ordained minister of God's people. And Paul would say to us, do not be deceived. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. If we persist without repentance in these lifestyles, God's judgment, God's wrath is upon us. Present tense, ongoingly. It is for that very reason that we need salvation, that we need a savior, that we needed Christ to come. Don't be deceived. Secondly, not only are we saints, but we're children of light. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Here is the testimony of every Christian. Uh, Before Christ, we were once darkness. Now, do you notice, it's not just the environment that's around us. We sometimes talk about, you know, oh, it's a very dark place. Actually, the Bible doesn't talk about dark places. It talks about dark people. You were once darkness. The darkness is inside of us. Uh, Elsewhere, it'll speak of, of the fact that we're living in the dominion of Satan. We're in the kingdom of darkness. But now... You know, that moment of conversion where we turn from our sin and we lay hold of Christ, our Savior, for our forgiveness. When we grab hold of him, uh, that day, everything changes. We were once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. Who's the light source? Here. The Lord, right? You're children of light. He's the light. And you enter into his kingdom and you become those who reflect the glory of the Lord. You become children of light. So that's who we are. So um, what do we need to know about our status as being children of light? Well, first of all, that um, the job of children of light is that we produce fruit. Verse 9. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Notice that uh, he's just taking up the imagery. You know, we know this. The sun is the source of life in this world, isn't it? If the sun doesn't shine, things don't grow, and we don't have good steak to eat uh, because the cows have nothing to eat. And after all, that's the most important thing as a meat eater for me. Anyway, uh, the sun shines and things grow. The glory of the Lord, uh, when we enter into his kingdom... His light begins to transform and change us. He produces something in us. He is producing in us these very things that are of his character. Look back at chapter 4, verse 24. It's just across the paragraph, uh, just across the next bit. Um, And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Look back at 5.9. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and And truth. This is what God is doing in our lives. He's conforming us to His likeness, where we grow in goodness.
good towards others. We grow in righteousness, right living before God. We grow as truthful people who are not deceitful and lie. We are people, as, as we now have entered into the family of God, we, verse 10, we find out what pleases the Lord, what pleases our heavenly Father, our loving Father. It's quite natural we want to follow the family likeness. That's what it means to live in the light and be children of light. I want you to notice too that light does other things as well. It does two other things. Children of light also expose darkness. Verse 11, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. In America, we had a paddling pool for the kids and uh, big plastic things to throw out on the lawn. We had hot summers all, all summer, so the thing used to sit out on the lawn all through the summer. And that's why I'm saying it's an American analogy here. And uh, we used to fill it with water, and it didn't budge. The kids would play in it. But towards the end of the summer, we would empty the water out. And do you know what it would look like underneath? No light. Yellow, shriveled. There's nothing going on in the lawn. No need to cut that grass. It's practically dead. Well, this is what the verse is saying. That apart from the light, in the darkness, those deeds are fruitless. The deeds of darkness are not productive. They're dead and decaying and gone. And actually, it is part of the role of the children of light to be willing to expose the reality of that darkness. Now, I think in lots of ways that happens just by living the Christian life. I remember uh, as an undergraduate student in my first year halls of residence, um, you know, I didn't have to say too much. Uh, they saw my life was different because what they got up to was uh, unbelievable to me. And, uh, and pretty soon, they, they, they delighted to bait me. Why would I not join in with them? Why would I not be smoking drugs with them? Why would I not be doing other things with them? And they would try and um, pull me in and suck me in. And, and just by living the Christian life, my light, in a sense, the light of Christ began to say, here's a different way to live. And they didn't like it. it. It annoyed them. They tried to bring me down to where they were, really. And is this not exactly what the farmer did? I'm very glad for Alan Graham, aren't you? I mean, what a good guy. He had no idea who this woman was, so he allowed them, you know, film. You want to do a film in my field? That's fine. And then he sees the way she's carrying on, and it's getting really, really bad. And, and uh, he says, look, could you put your clothes on and, and leave? If only someone said that to her a lot earlier in her career. <laughs> and what's he doing? He's exposing that that's wrong. If your spouse started running up down the street naked, what, what are you thinking? You're thinking, oh, that's wonderful. Let's make a video of that. Uh, I'd, love to, I'd, love to, I'd love to show that throughout the world. No, if that was your spouse, you, you'd be ringing up the doctor and saying, I think there's something wrong, wouldn't you? You would. It's shameful to act like that. Get inside, get your clothes on, what are you doing? And, and yet, that's fine in our celebrity culture. In our porn culture, you can do that and put it on MTV and play it all day. It's it's wrong. It's wrong. 
enjoy a sexual relationship with your wife, but keep your sexual desire and, and focus there. Don't go feeding on it anywhere else. It's just inappropriate. It's just unhelpful. And we need to expose the reality of darkness. And the truth is that we live in a culture that is experiencing so much brokenness with sex. The stats on sex trafficking, the pain of marital breakup, the the tragedy of porn addiction. It's not normal and healthy, my friends. It's, It's sickness and it's bringing decay. And it's hurting people. Hurting lives. And, and as Christians, we must be willing at times to, to, to as, as light, just say that. And uh, we're going to be very popular for saying that, aren't we? I don't think. But you know, the other reason that we do this is, is, is the third reason is that we want to reflect Christ. Now, these are very condensed verses in verses 13 and 14. Let me read them to you again. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The reason that we want to shine the light of Christ out there, and let's let's make no mistake about it, that it is the light of Christ that counts. Um, We are light in the way that the moon is light. We reflect, the moon reflects the sun, doesn't it? And on a, on, a, on a sort of a harvest night of a full moon, it's unbelievable how bright it is out there. It's incredible. Well, that's what we're called to be. To reflect the light of Christ into the world. Uh, not to be those who are wagging our fingers in a condemning way, but in a loving way to commend Christ who's come to save sinners. To lovingly point out the fruitlessness of, of, of darkness, the brokenness of sexual sin, and say there's hope. There's great hope in Christ. All the past can be forgiven and cleansed, and you can become one of his God's, God's holy people. You become saints. You can join the light. That's the hope of exposing the light, that as we shine the light of Christ, Some will look at their lives and say, yes, it is utterly sinful and I need a savior. And will be transformed by that light and become light themselves. Isn't that exactly what's happened to the church in Ephesus? That's what we saw in verse 8, isn't it? For you were once darkness. That's true of all of us apart from uh, God's grace, apart from the gospel. We were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And so as we look at this passage, I think its message is this. To us as Christians, shine as holy children of light. This is how we're to stand out, and we will stand out increasingly clearly and brightly in a porn raunch culture. Shine as holy children of light. Is this not what Christ taught us? He said, you are, you If you're a Christian here today, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Let your light shine before others. Well, we could say, no. No, I'm not going to do that. 
And I don't know, maybe there's someone here today and, and just, you know, you know what the truth of the Bible is, but you have been going against your conscience and you've been pursuing things in the darkness. And, and I would say Christ has brought you here today just to remind you of the truth. Would you heed the warnings of Scripture? Verse 5, actually you think you're going to gain, you could lose everything. No inheritance in the kingdom of light. Verse 6, facing God's wrath. Actually, a, a life of fruitless deeds, a life that will end in shame. And from God's word, I want to say to you, wake up. Rise from the dead. Repent. Turn to Christ. Christ will shine on you. The past can be cleansed. Patterns of sin can be broken. And you can shine the glory of the light of Christ again. Shine. Uh, let me tell you about a, a lady I knew in Spokane. Her name is Teresa. It's, it's an amazing story in some ways. Uh, she was uh, living close to... We, we met in various locations. We met in the high school. And uh, we went... Some guys went on, on a Sunday afternoon, went around the doors after church, invited folks. Hey, we're meeting at this church. Why don't you come at 10 o'clock? You can join us next Sunday. Well, she was, she was smoking some drugs, watching American football on the TV. And they invited her. And she, she looked at them and thought, you weirdos. Sunday is for watching football. I'm not going to go to church. She had a little girl there. And the guy said to uh, their daughter, oh, uh, you know, if you came to church on Sunday, after church we have fresh donuts every Sunday. And uh, you, you'd get a donut if you came to church. Well, mum did not want to come. But for the next three weeks, the little daughter said to mum, come up to Sunday, mum, can we go to the church with the donuts? Can we go to the church with the donuts? Please, mum, please, mum, please. Three weeks. The power of donut evangelism. We haven't tapped into this yet. Church, we need to think about this. And Teresa said, they're a bunch of freaks. And I'll show you what a bunch of freaks they are. We're going to go now, and then you'll never want to go again, she says to her daughter. So she starts walking to church. Teresa uh, had a pretty messy um, sexual history. She had children from various um, men, and there was no guy living with her at the time. And uh, she was a drug user. And there's other stuff in her life. And as she walked closer to the church, it was, her testimony was this, that she felt increasingly fearful as she approached the, the school. And she felt very fearful. She knew that she was in the darkness. She'd know, she knew that she'd done things that she was ashamed of. And she didn't want to come to this place where she knew that they would be teaching things that were different to how she had lived. But somehow the door was open. She received a great, a great, a great, a great welcome, and she was whisked in. There's a lady in that church called Karen Murray, and uh, Karen Murray shines the light of Jesus. Just reflects Jesus, and she had the joy of sitting next to Karen. And Karen was not awkward and stiff and sat there pretending that there was someone next to her that she didn't know. She turns and says, hey, it's so good to have you here. What's your name? And found out about her and heard a bit of a story, put her arm around and said, you're so welcome. It's so good to have you here. And she shone something of the light of Christ into Teresa. And Teresa thought, wow, I'm welcome here. She thought she wouldn't be welcome, but she was welcomed. And over the weeks, she became a Christian. 
she had a terrible heart problem and uh, she desperately needed a heart transplant. And uh, for years, uh, she had gone to the heart transplant surgeon and as a routine, they did a tox screen and they always counted her out for the operation because of her drug habits. They could pick it up in her, her blood. You're a drug user. There's no way we're going to do this heart operation on you. Well, after she became a Christian, she, she managed to stop the drugs. So the next appointment, she goes to see the doctor. And Karen went with her. And it was autumn. It was towards the end of the afternoon. It was getting dark outside. And, and the doctor kind of went through the routine, as he had for years. You know, no, you're not going to have a heart operation. He takes out the blood report. And he goes, Teresa, you've changed. What's happened to you? And she said, I've met a new man. (laughs) And he said, who? She said, Jesus. And he said, what are you talking about? And she she was sitting by the light switch. And she said, I can't explain it, doctor. She said, but my life was like this. And she flicked off the lights and the room went dark. And she said, and now it's like this. And she put the lights back on. That's all I can tell you. Isn't that exciting? As we shine the light of Christ, some are going to despise that. Others are going to see their sin and be drawn to Christ and enter into the light. And so my Christian friends, can I say to you from God's word, this is what Christ would say to us, let your light shine. As holy children of light, let it shine. Uh, In the bulletin, does it have the God talk? Again? Did I do it again? Is there a section on God talk in there? It's not. Oh, we'll have to get it back in for next week. But why don't you give this a go this week? If someone says, how was your weekend? You say, well, I had a great weekend. I went to church and I learned how Jesus loves sinners like me. How was your weekend? How was your weekend? That's the important bit. And, you know, if they, want to, if they want to come back to you about why you're a sinner and why you've learned that Christ loves you, they can. If they don't, they, they'll talk about other things, won't they? Give it a go. Tell me how it, how it goes on. Let your light shine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that though we were once darkness, in your mercy and your grace, you shone the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus into our hearts. And we thank you for his sinless life that stood in our sinful place so that he would be punished, so that we could be forgiven. Oh, thank you. Thank you that every sin is covered by the all-sufficient sacrifice of your son in our place. Lord, our sexual sin, our greed, our lust, all our shame. We thank you, Father, that you are willing to forgive us and cleanse us. And so, Father, help us to remember this week who we are, that we may live as shining lights of Christ into this lost world. We ask this, Lord, that others would be saved and that you would gain great glory for yourself. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.